Ag State of Mind, Episode 12. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a member of the Global Ag Network. Today, we have the privilege of speaking to Holly Spangler. Holly is the editor of Prairie Farmer Magazine, a farm progress publication serving farmers and ranchers in Illinois. We talked to her today about her writings about farm stress and mental health over the past few years. I actually came to find Holly through a colleague of hers, Amanda Radke, who writes for Beef Magazine, and she was talking about some articles. She had a blog post of her own on her Beef Daily blog that was highlighting some writings about mental health and agriculture. This was earlier in the year, and uh, I think there were 10 articles in that blog that Amanda had mentioned, and I think four of them were written by Holly. So I reached out to Holly and told her I would love to have her to speak about this topic with her and have her on the Ag State of Mind podcast. And uh, we were able to nail down a date. It, we had some uh, we had some weather conflicts between her obligations as a photographer, and we had a winter storm here in Missouri that I had to postpone an interview for to tend to the herd. So uh, I think the third time was the charm for us to be able to get together and have an actual uh, sit-down conversation. It was uh, actually turned out to be kind of a a late night for me, um, but I really, really appreciated the chance to get to talk to Holly. And uh, we also get to talk to her a little bit about something cool that she and a few others in her 4-H and FFA group are doing at her local county fair. So we talked to her a little bit about that. Um, That was really cool for me because everyone who knows me knows how passionate I am about county fairs and the livestock program. So uh, really excited to talk to her about that. Um, Before we get to the interview with Holly, I want to encourage everyone to go check out our Patreon page. I've now posted the bonus material from our interview with Kathy Both. That was a really cool discussion for me, and uh, I was excited to listen to it again on the Patreon page because uh, I kind of had forgotten what we talked about in detail. So uh, it was cool for me to hear it again. So uh, I really encourage you all to, if you would like to support this show with your dollars, um, head on over to patreon.com slash mind, and there you will find um, a few blog posts from me and you will find that bonus material with Kathy Voth and coming bonus material as well. So um, you don't want to miss that. Without anything further, I will go ahead and get into my interview with Holly Spangler of Prairie Farmer Magazine. Hello, Holly. Welcome. Thanks for coming on the show today. How are you? I'm good, Jason. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, Tell me just a little bit about yourself, about what you do, where you're located in in the world, and um, we'll go from there. Yeah, yeah. Now, I am located in western Illinois. Um, my husband and I farm here. We're about halfway between Peoria and the Mississippi River. And so we raise corn, soybeans, and beef cattle with his parents. And we've got three kids who are... Um, 
just getting older all the time. Um, <laughs> one is almost 17, one almost 15, and one 11. And so we're spending a lot of time running after them and keeping up with the farm. And then I work for Prairie Farmer Magazine, which is part of Farm Progress. Um, and I've done that for 22 years, I think. Yeah, right at 22 years. And um, editor at Prairie Farmer. And then I manage uh, what we call our... Um, Eastern Corn Belt. And so I manage all the publications east of the Mississippi plus Iowa because we didn't draw a straight line there. Okay. Well, cool. Um, did you major in like ag communications in college? I did. Yeah. I went to the University of Illinois to be a doctor and that lasted until October of my freshman year. And <laughs> then I um, <laughs> decided, you know, maybe chemistry wasn't what I wanted to do for uh-huh. that long. And um and, and honestly, just never even heard of ag communications before then. So I stumbled into that thanks to roommates and friends and good professors and um, got on board pretty quickly and changed gears and managed to graduate in ag communications and um, met my husband while I was there. And here we are now. So did you grow up on a farm? I did in Southern Illinois. Okay. Um, we joke that like I grew up on a farm in Southern Illinois, close to Indiana, and we had uh, corn, soybeans, and beef cattle. And now today, my husband and I have corn, soybeans, and beef cattle. So not not a uh, not a big difference there, other than geography. Geography, right. You know, it's always funny to me how much, like, how the farming changes just with a little bit of change of latitude. Um, where I'm at in Missouri, it's, I mean, we, we have a few people who, who do some row cropping around where I'm at, but I mean, it's, it's mostly, it's mostly rangeland. It's mostly pasture land yeah. here, but you know, you go an hour North to the Missouri river and it's all corn country, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm always, it's just, uh, I'm amazed at how fast the landscape can change just with a little change of, uh, North and South and East and West. For sure. And your proximity to the river, you know, any river we're, that's why we have pasture ground is because of the river offshoots that we're close to. And so right, it does make a big difference, but we're, I mean, I'm, we're 240 miles from where I grew up, um, base, you know, North and a little bit West. And, you know, it is always in the, in the wintertime, it's 10 degrees colder here than it is back home. Yeah. And you wouldn't think it would be that big of a difference, but it is. It makes a big difference, you know, how far and, I mean, those Illinois winters are, you know, where you're at are no joke. We visited some friends for Thanksgiving that I was, we were talking before we recorded, you know, we have friends in the Quad Cities and uh, I was out at Thanksgiving frying a turkey with one of my friends outside. And <laughs> yeah, I have never felt, I mean, I was bundled up in a cold, you know, I had a down coat on and my friend was frying the turkey here and he had like one of those just like soft shell, like North Face jackets on and, you know, mm-hmm. looked at me like I was some <laughs> sissy Southern boy. <laughs> which is how yeah. I felt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gets it gets serious. Yeah. I think we had 14, 14 snow days last winter, you know, which was it which is unusual. We don't normally have that many, but a lot of those were just cold days, you know, too cold for buses to run. Uh-huh. Kind of stinks. Did you guys I think we're it's recording on November 11th today. We got out of school early B for for some nasty weather today. Did you guys did you guys complete a school day? <laughs> well, oddly enough, we, yeah, we had the snow and the nasty weather. They were not, as far as I understood, going to, you know, let school out earlier, anything, except I think from what I understood, there was a, a semi that ran off the highway and took out some power lines, power poles, and killed power to our town, which killed power to the schools. Oh, my. <laughs> and one of the backup generators didn't come on. 
Oh gosh. <laughs> and then they let school out about eleven thirty. So So not directly, but indirectly. Kinda. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I made a lot of confusion at school there for a while, but everybody made it home and it was fine. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So the reason we're talking here today is earlier this year, I was going through, I was, I, this was before I think I even really got deep into recording the podcast and I was researching, you know, mental health and agriculture, people who have, have written about it. And, um, Amanda Radke, who I assume is sort of a colleague of yours. Um, Do you guys, did you guys write for the same company? We do. She is a freelancer for Beef Magazine. So she does a lot of work. With them, and then they are owned by the same company that we are. So we don't necessarily, um, you know, sit in staff meetings together or anything, but definitely, you know, under the same umbrella and uh, enjoy her work for sure. Sure. So, what I was reading, um, you know, I'm an avid follower of her blog for the last several years. Mm -hmm. And um, she wrote this piece, I believe it was in April, that talked about 10 mental health in agriculture blogs. And Mm -hmm. in those 10 blogs, I believe it was four of them that were written by you. (laughs) So I want to kind of find out about what sparked you to start talking about that. What what brought that forth in your writing? For sure. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. And I can't remember how many years ago this was. But, you know, when the CDC study first came out, you know, talking about this incredibly high rate of farmer suicides. And I had some non-farm friends, you know, bring that to my attention and, and I kind of looked at it and I thought, well, I mean, that could be a bit yet for all the farmers that I know and work with. I don't, I didn't know of anybody at that point, you know what I mean, who had committed suicide or attempted suicide. You know, there just wasn't, and, I, and that's not to say it wasn't happening, but, you know, just very anecdotally, you're like, huh, I'm not sure. I don't know. That, that just didn't ring true at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, then we progressed through 2018 and of course the dairy market being what it was at that point and um, talking with my dairy friends and just realizing how desperate you know a lot of those situations were also last year you know there was you know when you start getting impacted personally by this stuff then you you know your radar goes up considerably and we had sure um, there was a man from my hometown you know who committed suicide who I didn't really know, you know, he was just enough older than me in school that we were never mm-hmm. in school together, but like knew of him and mm-hmm. lots of mutual friends. And he left behind, you know, children, you know, in high school and, and college. And you just really stop and think about, you know, as I was sharing that story with my husband, you know, that day when he came home, he would, you know, his one comment in the whole thing was, he said he just couldn't take it anymore. And I thought, well, that's, that's it, you know, and that, and, and when, you know, one farmer to another sees that, you kind of realize this whole thing is a lot closer to the surface, maybe than what we realize. And then we've had, you know, a couple more situations here closer to where we live now, um, you know, with a farmer about our age who committed suicide and just knowing, you know, in, in, and I think a lot of these cases, there are a lot of underlying situations, right? Like, it's not like it was just the finances. It wasn't just milk prices. You know, it's often maybe it's an underlying condition or, you know, there were marriage problems or, you know, just a whole lot of things that have snowballed that got him to that point. Um, right. Yeah. And so I want to say it was last fall, I started writing about it more. And Partly through, um, I talked with a dairy farmer um, in northern Illinois who had 
a barn fire, you know, and lost their whole barn. And they moved their cattle in, you know, with the neighbor and, and they were going to be okay. But then they had to figure out, okay, well, the insurance money isn't going to, re- you know, help build the kind of building that we need to survive at this point, you know, uh, to scale up the number of cows. And then on top of that, who was going to buy the milk? You know what I mean? They had contracts for a certain um, amount of milk and, and that would be more. And what do you do with it? And all that kind of stuff. And, and just realizing just what a desperate situation you know, and he said something like, I, you know, I ran into a burning barn to save these cows and I may still have to sell them. Oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> that's the kind of thing that just, oh, man, that's, that's heavy. Yeah. So just spent a lot more time after that, you know, trying to, I, I think I started looking then. Okay. So in Illinois, who do we, what kind of resources do we have? Right. And, and I <laughs> contacted Illinois Farm Bureau, Illinois Department of Agriculture, University of Illinois, mm-hmm. both the farm credit mm-hmm. here in the state. Mm-hmm. Well, some of the bigger, like, like you know, I have some colleagues who work at um, some of the bigger hospitals who did a lot of farm safety stuff. Nobody knew of anything. <laughs> there were no resources. There was no hotline. You know, we've had some stuff in the past, their extension, a rural route too, like back in the early 2000s, you know, when we're all dealing with LDPs and stuff like that, that, you know, to call and talk to about how you're feeling and that kind of thing. But um, none of that existed anymore because there's no money. You know, a lot of that state support's gone away and everybody to a person was like, yeah, we need to do something, but we don't know what and we don't know who, you know, how we're going to pay for it or anything. So it kind of launched a series of stories. <laughs> yeah. This was fall of 2018. Is that, is that correct? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So just very recently. Yeah. Um, it blows my mind that, and, and I'm as guilty as anyone um, that this kind of snuck up on us, you know, yeah, for, for a sure. lack of a better word. You know, it just, right. you know, this this isn't the first hard times that we've had. Right. And but things are different, though, I do believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. I, you know, agriculture is, is cyclical. Right. So, mm-hmm. as you say, it's the first downturn we've had. <laughs> right. Um, but boy it does feel different in, in terms of like how long it's lasted. Um, some, I think the underlying situations as you get in closer to it. And I, and I think part of that's because farms are just bigger now. Right. Yeah. And that's nobody's fault. It just is what it is. So, but you know, you're talking about bigger amounts of money, you know, bigger debt, bigger loans, bigger risk. I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. And in this kind of the same breath, just because they're bigger farms that I kind of kind of tend to think there are less people who are who are actually farming. I know that's kind of the that's kind of the way it is around here. There's not, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's a lot of big farms, a lot of big operators, but, you know, there's not the small guys anymore. Um, right. Right. It's sad because mm-hmm. it's such a wonderful way of life. And mm-hmm. I hate to see it go that way because it's so, it's such a wonderful way of life, but you know, we're just as susceptible to these stresses as, as anybody else. Right. Right. Market forces are what they are for sure. Yeah. So you wrote a series almost, it seemed of, of these articles that are focusing on mental health. And I I see that you have talked to, is it Ted Matthews? Is that correct? His name? Yes. Ted Matthews. You bet. So I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in 
because I, I, I myself have, I, I have reached out to Ted and he did get back to me and I have not gotten back to him. So I'm very curious to see your, um, how you forged the relationship with him yeah. and, uh, how, you know, what came of that, how, how it came to be and, uh, what you were able to gain from, from speaking with him. Right. Yeah. You know, after I had checked into all the sources in Illinois to find out, okay, we got nobody, we got nothing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Here, I remembered seeing this video floating around, right. That uh, was from the Huffington Post, mm-hmm. you know, that um, was really looking at the farmer suicide situation and, and was unreal to see something that well done from a non-agriculture media. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but like, I mean, they, they got right to the heart of it and they did it well and they covered it well. And they interviewed Ted in that, you know, in his office. And, um, as I was trying to track him down, I ended up emailing our, our Minnesota editor <laughs> and ask her, it's like, who, uh-huh. have you seen this video? Who is this guy? All I remember is he's from Minnesota. And she knew exactly what I was talking about and got his number for me and, and put me in touch with him. And he has been fantastic. I mean, we have spent a lot of hours on the phone talking. He's very generous with his time. And yet I don't know how the man gets done what he needs to, because I, I, I do believe he has some help now. I think he has another counselor or two there. Um, but for a long time, he was a lone wolf, you know, <laughs> um, you know, basically at his phone number. And he said, just call me, call Ted. And, you know, we printed his number. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think I did, I don't know, I did a couple stories with him. And then our Illinois Farm Bureau brought him down to speak to all their county managers, you know, to talk about, okay, here's what you can look for. Here's what maybe you could try to do in your community, that kind of stuff. And the crazy thing, I was sitting there that day at that meeting with all those Farm Bureau managers and tweeting, you know, a lot of his quotes or, you know, just things that he was saying that day. Mm-hmm. And before lunchtime, this is like a day long deal before lunchtime, I already had an email from a farmer I knew who said, you know, I've really been struggling and I've just saw your tweets. And is there any way I could talk to this guy? Wow. Right. <laughs> so we made that happen, obviously. <laughs> and uh, they were able to talk, I think that night, you know, when he was done with his presentations there and, um, you know, it just reminds you over and over, like people are carrying a burden that you just don't know. You just don't know. Yeah. And you don't know. And that's sad because it's such a heavy burden and we feel so, I don't know any other word we feel, and it's nothing to be this, but it, we feel so ashamed of it. Right. Um, And I think the only way to put that shame behind us is for people who are dealing with these things to come out and talk about them. Right. Um, I was actually, actually recorded it today and was released today. Um, I was on Rob Sharkey's uh, yeah. the Shark, Shark Farmer XM yeah. podcast. And he was, he was saying how he, he did a little presentation in Arkansas mm-hmm. and, you know, he ends every one of his talks with um, kind of doing a shout out for the Dumork Agriculture Foundation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he said he he's, he's a student of the audience and he could see the people kind of almost start becoming uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But um, they said once it was, once it was over, 
people, you know, they don't, people don't want to come out in, you know, out in the open and talk about it, but they do want to kind of come, you know, as a sidebar and say, Hey, I really appreciated that right. part of your, of your presentation where you were talking about the, the mental health. Um, and, and I think that's, that's kind of where we've got to get, you know, it's not going to be something we can just boom, here it is, mm-hmm. you know, talk about it. Like, you know, like we talk about trade <laughs> and regulation and everything right. else, you know, it has to, it has to be kind of something that that at first, at least, it has to be something that's kind of, kind of like I said, kind of a sidebar, kind of something we can talk about and maybe start talking about in smaller circles and then broaden the audience. Right, for sure. Well, I think it's it's part of too just trying to figure out how to help people understand what depression really is. Yeah, you know, and I think of like my dad, who is almost. I'm doing math here. <laughs> He's going to be 80 this winter. Okay, right, and. Yeah. Um, my mother died of cancer several years ago and he somewhere, I want to say within the last five years, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, somebody that he knew or something that, you know, had committed suicide and he made the comment, you know, there's kind of this long held belief, I think among a lot of us. And, and I don't know, I don't want to say of a certain age, but a lot of us, whatever age it might be that, you know, that that was a selfish decision, right? That, you know, somebody could yes. selfish. And they could have chosen differently. And dad made the comment, you know, somewhere here in the last few years that, you know, whoever this was, he said, you know, they, they couldn't have helped that any more than my mom could have helped having cancer. You know, it was just a sickness that they just, it wasn't like they could just get over it. Right. You know, it's not like you say, just get over cancer. Just get over feeling depressed or suicidal. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit for many years, I felt that way. Mm-hmm. I felt that suicide was a selfish, like a way out, you know, mm-hmm. um, you took the burdens away from yourself and put them on somebody else. But, you know, if you really think about it, does, does anybody truly want to do that to mm-hmm. themselves? Right. And the answer is obviously no, right. nobody wants to do that to themselves, but when somebody is suffering like that and, you know, has those things going on upstairs, mm-hmm. the, you know, and they have a, and it's, it's a, you know, we may not be able to measure it on a, you know, with a scale or with a, you know, using like we would measure somebody's blood pressure or something like that, but they definitely have something chemically not right. Sure. And that's no different than having diabetes or, Mm -hmm. or, or, or high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. I mean, those things are all, I mean, it's all a part of our health. Right. And, you know, to, to hear your, to hear your father say that your father's about the same age as mine. Mm -hmm. And that's not a common sentiment. And honestly, I feel like he should be commended for having that, having that outlook Mm -hmm. because so many people don't, Mm -hmm. even people my own age, I've heard that, you know, talk about how it's selfish and, if you say that, it's just you truly don't understand. Right. I can remember my parents talking when I was a kid. There was a man in the community that had committed suicide. And uh, it was a Southern Illinois um, oil situation. You know, if you remember back in those days and the oil boom in Southern Illinois and something had gone wrong financially for this individual. And, you know, there was a lot of blame being placed on that. And But I remember my parents talking about like how angry, you know, they thought that his wife must have been, you know, that now he left her with, you know, all the financial stuff and all that by herself. And, and yet you look back now in 2019 and say, gosh, that man, <laughs> the struggles he must have had. 
that he got to that point, you know, that that was the better option for him. That that's hard to wrap your. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, if you, it really is, and I don't think we even like consider, you know, because to to say that, well, you, what you have to do is you put your, you put yourself in their shoes, mm-hmm. and if that happened to you, how would you feel? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think anger would ever come into come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, just tragedy and intense sadness. Right. Right. For sure. So I want to, in another post you wrote, you talked about this young couple who, who lost their son. And I want to hear you talk about that a little bit. And I have something I want to, you know, kind of, kind of tie along to that. Um, I think it's the Flint family. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We, it was about this time last year. Um, my colleague in Indiana had a story um, about a, a family in Indiana whose son had um, very recently, I think at that point, passed away from cancer. I want to say from leukemia as well. And he had a story about that. And he had called me up and said, hey, do you know anybody who would be a good, you know, expert resource or whatever to talk about, you know, dealing with grief after you've lost a child? And my instant thought was, well, Josh Flint who worked with us for years. He was the editor here at Prairie Farmer for several years, and we worked very closely together. And Mm -hmm. his oldest child was born about the same time as my youngest. And that little boy was diagnosed with cancer when he was about 18 months old and then um, died just after his second birthday. Oh, my gosh. And, of course, that was their first child. And just heartbreaking, heart-wrenching all the way around, you know, for them for anyone who you know walked through that with them and um you know just just a difficult difficult time and they've gone on and had two more children and so I I called Josh up I'm like hey you know how would you guys feel about talking about this <laughs> and he you know so of course he needed to talk to his wife Tiffany but he's like you know he said they were just so honored to be thought of that you know nobody had forgotten Lucas that was their little boy Mm-hmm. that they were just glad to have a chance to talk about it. And they have, you know, people who have walked through that, they know some stuff, right, about how to deal with grief. And they've found what works and didn't work. And Right. Yeah. So we sat down, had a conversation, you know, with the three of Itzy and his wife and, and I, and they shared just some incredible things, you know, about what they had learned and how they how they got through that. And that's that's what we put together to go with that with that story. Well, I it struck me while I was reading it. Um, I've I, I've read it a couple of times. And, you know, the point I have been talking about lately a lot is, you know, mental health comes in all different forms. You know, Mm -hmm. it's the people who are trying to prevent suicide, but it's also the people like, like the Flint family who, who lost their child and have to, have to overcome that grief and have to be able to, go forward and live their life, even though they lost a child. Right. That's just as much mental health as, as anything else, as anything right. of the, you know, the diagnosable disorders. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's important that we talk about those things. It's important we talk about, you know, not just people who deal with anxiety and depression, but like you said, like you highlighted in this, you know, just dealing with grief is just as important. And, you know, if we deal with grief properly, we can maybe prevent some of these things from ever coming down, you know, down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the hope, right? Yeah. <laughs> that as we learn to deal with some of those things, it makes us healthier people. And I, I think Tiffany had said something like that, you know, that she had just trying to be a healthier version <laughs> of herself. And, and 
what she tried to do to get through, you know, some of that. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, like grief is just another, I don't know what you say, condition or whatever of, of your mental health, but yeah, different kinds of grief too. Right. Yeah. And I think of, you know, I've known some loss in my life, you know, just from, I lost a friend in our good friend in college to a drunk driver. I lost my best friend in childbirth when we were 29 and then my mom to cancer, but none of that, none of that could be anything like losing your child. Sure. I just, Oh my gosh. It's that idea of like a disordered death, right? Isn't that what they call that? You know, when a, a child dies before parents, that's right. not the yeah. order you're supposed to go. <laughs> And it, it just really rocks yeah. people, and and you have to just keep on living in in a, in a world that doesn't look the way you wanted it to. Yeah, and it's to see that they've recovered and are able to talk about it. Um, you know, they're they're never going to be able to to put that aside. They're never going to be able to live without that. Right. So you know, just being able to deal with it and being able to talk about it firsthand. Mm-hmm is they're doing it right. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy that there are stories, even, even though they went through something absolutely tragic, like you said, a disordered death, something that should never happen. Mm-hmm. Um, they're able to, because, because that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, people are going to experience that. And for them to be a resource to people, it's just wonderful. And I, I, I appreciate you being able to, to bring that to the light. That was, uh, that was, that's very, very important. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, there's just there's a lot of lessons that you take away from that little life. You know, he, you only lived a couple of years, but he yeah. had an incredible mm-hmm. impact on a lot of us. I mean, I remember standing, I remember where I was standing in my kitchen when Josh called and said, you know, he'd had an ear infection that turned into, or, you know, the, the antibiotics weren't kicking and it turned into a, well, let's get a blood test. And, you know, a couple of blood tests later, they oh, had a diagnosis of leukemia. Like, I remember where I was standing in my kitchen when Josh called and told me that, you know, and how I was all, <laughs> I remember at that moment, I was all worked up trying to get sandwiches packed for a cattle show, right? And stressing out about that and just stopped in the middle of the kitchen and thought, what in the world? Like, it just really changes the way you yeah. go forward. <laughs> I mean, it it shouldn't work like that, but, you know, most often it does when we're yep. busy in our lives, you know. How many kids do you have again? I have three. You have three. I have four. Mm-hmm. And we're just, things are crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we think, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, if if things would just slow down a little bit, we'd be so much happier. But <laughs> then you hear stories of of that and say, and, you know, you come to realize each day is a blessing with these kids. Right. You right. know, each day that you have to pack their lunch for a cattle show right. or for us, it's been driving two hours lately. This is thing that we've complained a lot about, but we, we wouldn't trade it for a world. We've been driving two hours to football games. It seems mm-hmm. like, every, you know, every Friday for the last four months, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the things that, that we complain about turn out to be our biggest blessings. Right. And, you know, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't work like that. It shouldn't take a loss of someone's child to emphasize that, but it really puts things into perspective. It does. Jerks us right back where we need to be too. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I want to talk, it's it's funny you mentioned the cattle show thing because I want to kind of shift gears here and I want to talk, I want to, I want to go a little lighter here and I want to talk about the experience you had. Um, was it at this summer where you guys had the, uh, had the uh, kind of the old timer show at, uh-huh. your, at your county fair for the cattle show? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've done that for, well, two years now. Uh, a year ago this summer, they, they sort of adopted it from, I think the goat show ring, they did this. Okay. And they literally just made it up on the fly in the cattle ring and said, we're going to have this, I think, and it was called Antique Showmanship that year. And they decided that they didn't like that name. So this year it became Vintage Showmanship, I think. <laughs> and uh, people really got into it this year and brought costumes. And, and they got into it last year too, but you could just tell there was a lot of planning. And they went into it this year. And then they kind of had a spinoff because they had some older people's interest as well. <laughs> and so they had a, they call it Senior Citizen uh-huh. Showmanship. So, so you had to be 65 plus to show in the senior citizen showmanship. And uh, that was a riot. It was nerve wracking because, you know, you look around, there's a lot of <laughs> artificial parts <laughs> up there. Knees. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mixed with a lot of thousand pound animals exactly. that, can go, uh, exactly. that can go south in a hurry. <laughs> right. What could they want? <laughs> Any number of things. Like yeah. <laughs> But it was a good time and um, nobody got hurt. So that was good. My mother-in-law competed and, and her sister, they both used, you know, heifers that were our kids. And, you know, you pick out the very tamest ones and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of grandmas out there and grandpas showing, you know, whose kids had showed already that day. So they had a good time. Right. So was it after the, uh, was it after the regular steer show, it you was, know, where all yeah. the nerves are gone? And- yep. Everything okay. was done. Okay. And all the kids' showmanship was done. It was kind of just right before the sale. So everybody was kind of hanging out and it was just a good time. Oh, so you guys do the sale right after the show? Well, we do a, let's see, we have our heifer show on Wednesday and then our steer show on Thursday morning. And then the, the sale is on Thursday afternoon and it's a premium auction. Oh. So they'll sell, you know, heifers and steers or whatever. I see. Um, and then, of course, also, you know, sheep and hogs as well. Okay. Uh, we do it differently at ours. We, uh, we actually show on Thursday evening and then we don't sell till Saturday afternoon. Yeah. So. I think that's pretty common. Yeah. Or, or at least I've, I've, I hear that more, you know, his friends talk about, oh my gosh, we have to stay for days. <laughs> like <laughs> you have yours and you're basically done. So. Yeah. That's uh oh my gosh. Do you guys have it? Is your fair in July? Yes. Last week in July. So. Oh my gosh. So the hottest week of the year always, right. you know. Right. No matter, you know, it can fall between the two coolest <laughs> weeks, but it's, you know, no matter what, fair week's the hottest. Yeah. So, okay. no, I, I, I wanted to talk about that because it's really important to have stuff that's fun. Yes. You know, enjoying yourself in a place, like I said, that was, that's a stressful day uh-huh. at, in a show ring. I am fully aware that we showed two lambs, a heifer and, a, and two steers this year, you yeah. know, which, <laughs> among my four kids, you know, so I am fully aware of how stressful and how tempers can flare, you know, between father and sons. Right. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it can be such a... Yeah. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) And, uh, you know, sometimes it can be so stressful and 
to have something like that after such a stressful day yeah. is really important and really, really cool. And I'm trying to get on the, on a lot of our fair board people to do something similar to that mm-hmm. after, after seeing what you guys did, because I think it would be so much fun yeah. to be able to get some of the, you know, the, 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 the dads and the moms that, you know, they did this 20, 30 years ago. Um, but you know, they, now they've kind of passed it on to their kids, but they still want to get in there and do it sometimes, you For know, sure. I know I would enjoy it. For and I, sure. I, I've got some friends that would, would be there too. And, you know, I love the dressing up thing. Uh-huh. Um, it reminds me of, um, uh, my, my brother and sister were really big in showing quarter horses oh, and, uh, they used to do at the, the quarter horse Congress, they would do freestyle reining where they would dress up their horses and have it in, um, you know, have a theme. You know, I remember one time one one um, one rider dressed his horse up as as it was, the theme was Top Gun, and you know he did all the soundtrack songs from Top Gun, and you know he rode the the pattern to that, you know, and that's kind of what it made me think about. I mean, something that's so serious and so um, so tense to make it really light and fun afterward is, um, is really great. And I think that, I think that doesn't just apply to just the show, you know, cattle show ring that applies to just, you know, farming and life in general, you know, things can be hard. Things can be extremely tense and, you know, we're coming off folks are coming off one of the hardest harvests in years. (laughs) And, you know, it's, it's been tense and, and, and devastating times. And to have something that makes it fun, mm-hmm. realizes how, how much fun you can have mm-hmm. is so important, For sure. you know, and I, I, I think that what you guys did at that fair is, uh, can be applied to life and agriculture in general. Oh, for sure. You know, and I think one of the funnest things about that, I always take a ton of pictures of those things and, you know, you sit there and go through those pictures and you realize like every single person in those stands was smiling and laughing. Right. I mean, every age, mm-hmm. kids, yeah. the grandmas and grandpas, everybody was laughing and having a ball. And and I think to have a situation like that where you've got multiple generations, three, four generations of some families all in the same place, all having a good time together, doing the same thing. There's not a lot of places you can do that. Yeah. Right. No, you're right. And that's cool. It's pretty special for that. And, and a county fair, that's, yeah. that's a good time, you know, and, and, and to let, you know, and, and what we did, you know, we let the kids who'd won senior showmanship the last three, four years judge this. And I'm here to tell you, like, that is now the best prize of that whole thing, right? Like they don't care about the <laughs> So that's like their incentive, right? you know, it used to be a belt buckle or a, or a chair or something. Now exactly. it's to get to judge their parents. Exactly. I love it. I think that's awesome. <laughs> My son won senior showmanship this year. You guys put a lot of planning into this. Well, you know what? We really kind of just fell into a lot of it. <laughs> it was not. Really? Yeah. It was really not super planned <laughs> Well, sometimes that's the best. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that first year. People that were, makes it even better, I think. Right. People were like donating. Somebody donated a traveling trophy on the fly. You know, and they were making up awards for, you know, best showman, but then also like worst showman. So then, of course, there were people vying to be the best. <laughs> the guy that was on his cell phone, we had to take a call right. during, the, uh, <laughs> during the show. That was pretty good. Oh, my gosh. That's so great. That's so great. And county fairs are so special, especially to the kids involved in 4-H and FFA. Yeah. There's, there, like you said, there is not a place like it in, 
anywhere that I know of. Right. Um, for our little community here, our um, our our county fair is based in my hometown, mm-hmm. and to see how the community comes together and supports this thing is, I mean, you can't find it anywhere else. Right. You just um, because it's something we can all kind of grasp onto, mm-hmm. and. The county fair is just so important to me because I remember the memories I made as a kid and I'm getting to see my own kids make those same memories. And, uh, you know, it's just such a special thing to me. It is. That's what's priceless, too. I mean, I, you know, we don't live now where I grew up, but I loved our county fair. Um, And now to see my kids, you know, we pull into the county fair, you know, every year and and they're like, we love this. (laughs) You know, we love this place or Whatever it might be, it's yeah warms your heart to think you know it's there's something about that atmosphere that that's created that these kids have just an incredible experience spending time with their friends and hanging out with buddies that they only maybe see there or you know what I mean get to spend time with there or whatever right yeah and where do you like where else can you go where you know all your friends from from your town uh-huh. you all get together you can all just kind of, you know, you have this kind of freedom to, you know, you're, you're working hard, but you're, you're still together and you kind of have this freedom and, um, be able to just kind of, uh, you know, for the week, just kind of have the run of the place. And I just, I I think it's so cool. I just love to see these kids and, um, see that, you know, cause my best friends now, you know, my best friends through high school and the friends I'm still friends with today and our yep. kids are friends are the, are the kids, yeah, are friends. the um, yep. people who I went to 4-H and went to the fair with. Mm-hmm. I mean, a hundred percent, you know, the people, the two guys who stood next to me at my wedding, mm-hmm. they were, they were my 4-H buddies, you know? So it's, um, it's a, it's, it's something that lasts so much it's a it's a legacy really it's something that lasts so much longer than than just the the four days of the fair you know sure so so holly we're we're kind of running a little short on time so i want to ask you one final question sure and i think people who are involved in in ag journalism have a special perspective of the ag industry and you can kind of see things maybe maybe from above a little bit kind of because you you get things from all angles and i want to get your take on what do we need to do to get out in front of this mental health thing mental health uh epidemic I, i'll say it how do we get out in front of this how do we how do we get the conversation moving in a way that's that's productive for the industry as a whole that's a great question um i think we're moving in the right direction you know i think when You've got people like my dad starting to realize, you know, this is this is um, not something that people choose. I think that speaks quite a bit to how far we've come. I think one of the biggest things that we can do is kind of realize that you don't have to have a degree in counseling to help somebody. Um, one of the best things I heard this fall was, you know, hey, you're going to be on a combine or sitting in a semi or in the auger wagon or whatever for a lot of hours here. Use some of that time and you've got a phone in your pocket, you know, call somebody that you haven't talked to for a while, you know, call a farmer that you maybe haven't seen lately or, and just talk to them, you know, how they doing. Um, There's a lot of power in that, just that individual's ability to relate to them because, you know, nobody, nobody understands a farmer like another farmer, right? (laughs) No, 
You're right. And and know what they're what you're dealing with yeah. and what you're going through. I hear it in my husband's voice, you know, when he talks to one of his good buddies, you know, that farm, like they just get each other, you know. Yeah. The jokes, the mm-hmm. hard stuff, everything in between, the you know, working with their family, <laughs> you know, they, they understand all that stuff. Yeah. I think there's a lot more I know as an industry to do that as individuals. Yeah. No, you're right. It has to come, like you said, it has to come on that person by person basis, like a grassroots level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know the conversations I have with my friends who farm and versus the ones I that don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just it's just a different level. It's no, it's just that's all, you know, and there's nothing, there's nothing, you know, anybody can do about it. It's just, it's just a different level. And, you know, I know talking to one of my friends, he uh, you know, he runs a lot of cattle, he backgrounds a lot of calves. And, mm-hmm. you know, the conversations we have are just, you know, are so much different than, than the friend, you know, than I would, you know, uh, a friend I just go to church with or something like right. that. You know, it's just different because it's just, uh, it's not, you know, you're, 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 it's not, you're not better than anyone yeah. else. You're not, you know, sticking your nose up, but you just understand one another. Right. You know, you understand the things that you go through on a day-to-day basis. And that's what it's going to take. You're, you're exactly right. It's going to take more people who are are like-minded in that they are, you know, they are involved speaking up and talking about this mm-hmm. and, and, and getting out in front of it and making sure, and it's like you say, you don't have to have a degree in counseling to, to recognize these things. And, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of, we call it mental health first aid mm-hmm. and, you know, just being able to recognize the, when things are off mm-hmm. and um, being able to possibly, you know, possibly get somebody um I've talked to Leslie Kelly on our previous recording and, yeah. you know, the guy next to you on the bus or next to you at a kid's ball game, he may not be able to, you know, if you have a heart attack, go in and put a stand in you, but he can recognize that you're having a problem with your heart and drive you to the hospital yeah. or, you know what I right. mean? And that's kind of the same in the same breath, mm-hmm. you know, he may not, he may not be able to fully get in and help you and see what's going on on a, on a whole level. But, you know, he can talk to you on a person to person basis and understand, you know, maybe what's going on with you. Right. For sure. Well, and I'm thinking of, I had got a call from an Iowa farmer. I think it was sometime this summer. You know, he was talking about going to counseling. Um, I think it was in Iowa city. He'd struggled with depression and, um, had, you know, whatever, whatever this office was, he was, he was, you know, going through to see his counselor as he's coming out the door of it. There's a guy walking in in a seed corn cap and a jacket. And they, he said they, you know, their eyes met and neither one of them said anything, but they both, you know, <laughs> you look in your eyes, like, yeah, I know he's dealing with the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of that feeling of solidarity. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's powerful. Even, even if it is, like you say, if it's, even if it is anecdotal, even if it is just right. a, you know, and I, I mean, it's great to know that that's happening. Right. You know, that people are recognizing this and people are actually going out and getting help. Right. That's, that's awesome. And I, that, you know, that makes me, makes me feel hopeful. Right. You know, even because it's a, it's an industry where that, that kind of, Talking about your feelings isn't so encouraged, no. you know, or hasn't been anyway in in times past. And to know people who are are taking upon themselves to do it is is great for sure. You know, and the other thing I think that we mentioned, or yeah, I mentioned Ted Matthews earlier. Ted is big on that idea that you know we can't expect people who are depressed or struggling with their emotions to reach out for help. 
you know, the nature of depression is that they can't come up for air in that way. And so it's kind of on a lot of us to look around and, and pay attention. You know, is there somebody you haven't seen for a while? Is there somebody who seems really down, you know, when you talk to them or doesn't seem like themselves? You know what I mean? Whatever their their usual personality is, um, that they maybe seem a little off, you know, to recognize that and then, you know, ask them, you know, is there something I can do? Is there something going on? Because they just can't, they can't ask, they can't, they can't go for help and you can't expect people, you know, to. Right. Yeah. Because it's just, like you said, it's not, it just doesn't, seeking out help and going out and, and getting out maybe out of your comfort zone doesn't really mesh with, with the condition, you know, that's mm-hmm. just, that that's kind of oil and water, <laughs> yes. you know? So right. yes, it's very important for people to, on the outside looking in to recognize it and aid these people in getting, getting the help they need. Right. Right. And, and it's not like thinking either that like one conversation is going to fix everything, you know, like you're, you may not be able to make it, perfect, but you can make it a little better than it was yesterday. Right. Yeah. And if we do that every day, if we stay consistent and make it a little bit better every day, mm-hmm. then in a year, look how far we'll come. Yeah. My favorite quote from him was, better doesn't mean good. It just means better. It might mean it really sucked before and now it just sucks. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's never going to be perfect. And that's... right. Um, perfection is the enemy of done, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it, things are never going to be perfect, but you know, you can, you can still do them and learn from the mistakes and, and still push on and move forward. And, you know, I love, I love hearing quotes like that, that you can kind of repeat mm-hmm. in your head because, mm-hmm. you know, they'll get you really far in life. Right. They really will. And I, it sounds silly and, um, you know, kind of cliche, but they'll, they'll really get you a long way. Right. So. For sure. Holly, I, I really, really appreciate your time here today. I know we've had some uh, we've had some trouble getting together here over the last week or so, but I'm I'm glad we finally um, got the chance to talk. And uh, if people want to find your writing online, where where can they go? Yeah, absolutely. Prairiefarmer.com the, is the main place for all that. Okay. So yeah, I appreciate it, Jason. You're having good conversations here and. That's good for people to hear. It's good for all of us to be able to talk about. So we appreciate appreciate that a lot. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, again, I, I appreciate you coming on here today and, uh, you know, um, look forward to continuing reading you. It's, uh, it's been really, it's been really fun getting to, I feel when you, when you read somebody's writing, I, you feel like you get to know them. <laughs> and uh, I, I feel like I've gotten to know you just through reading your writing. And uh, I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Thanks again for coming on today. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.